Lord, we, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have to, to come together, to study your word, to learn about you. And Lord, I just I pray that it would cause us to have just a deep reverence for you, a deep love for you. Uh, Lord, that God, just as we come to know you better, that that would uh, impact our lives, uh, that it would uh, just cause our hearts to to, to burn with, with desire and love for you. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, give us understanding and wisdom as we uh, look at these things, uh, that we would just be able to, to glimpse a little bit of, of the, the depth of who you are. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, since I promised Casey... <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna tackle the uh, the problem of evil. I mean, just just a little bit of setup. I mean, I'm, you guys think we're all here previous times, but you know we've we've been looking at the different attributes of God and um, specifically talking about his um, his his unlimited power, uh, knowing all things, and just you know being in control of all things, um, and then also the fact that that God is he's righteous, he's just, he's loving. Um, and the the question often comes up. It's like, well, how can we have this situation where we look at the world around us and there's evil in the world? And it just seems like, well, if God is just you know this all good, all loving God, and He's completely powerful and can do anything He wants, it, there's no evil would happen, right? Because it's like, why would He allow that? Right, um, and so that's a, an objection that's often raised, usually raised by um, atheists or other just like non-religious people. Um, so I'm just going to throw it open a little bit. What do we think about this? How do we deal with this? Is this is this a is this a, a real problem? Do we do we need to deal with this? Yes. Yes. I'd say so. Yes. <laughs> I think it's worth talking about. Yeah. So we don't want to just dismiss it, right? Because no. I mean, it's at least on the surface that I mean, it, the argument makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's true, right? So, so I was just going to yeah. say it's it's oftentimes not just an uh, an intellectual argument. Mm-hmm. It can be that, but mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, some people, especially those that have suffered mm-hmm. some tragedy, right. it's. Uh, it's it's very real. It's very personal, even emotional, mm-hmm. and so it can right. really strike very close to home. Yeah, yep. Um, yeah, oftentimes they're very bitter about something that has happened in their life, and they feel wronged. They feel angry, um, and you know, it winds up being easier just to say, "Well, God isn't who Christianity says He is," um, and just reject that. But, yeah, but it does strike very close to home often with people. Yeah, yeah to, just to add to that, I think it's just important that we keep that in mind. That when we talk about these things, there's times that we can, when the situation's right, to talk about it kind of on an intellectual level. But I think there's other times that when people are reacting this way, the, the right thing isn't to try to argue an intellectual argument as to, you know, why they should, you know, why they shouldn't feel this way, or something. You know, it's a reality for them, and, mm-hmm. and that it should be uh, approached with, I think, compassion. Yeah. And yeah. That this is. I mean, I'm definitely an advocate for like if you're talking to somebody who has objections, 
to very much trying to gauge where they're coming from yeah. and respond accordingly. And you, you don't want to get into a notion of here's the formula for how you talk to somebody who raises objections to Christianity. Because sometimes, you know, if you, if you listen to people talk about apologetics, sometimes it becomes that, where it's like, okay, here's the formula. This is what you say. This is what you do. Yeah. And um, you really have to, um, and this is something that Casey and I talked about um, outside of the, the Sunday school class, is just the, the idea of listening to somebody and really trying to understand what they're saying and where they're coming from. So this is definitely very important um, in that respect. Um, now the, the problem of evil is it's a, it's a problem for any perspective. There is, there is no, at least as far as I've been able to come up with, there is no perspective you can have where you don't have to wrestle with this on some level. I mean, if you want to, if you want to understand what's going on, um, and I want to start by basically defending the Christian position, but I do want to have that caveat: is just like we were just we were talking about. If you're talking to somebody, that may not be where you want to start. You may want to start by um, asking them to try to be consistent in their own system and show them that their system doesn't work. Um, and we're going to talk about those things, but I want to start by, just from the Christian perspective, how do we understand this? Um, and I know that I, I mentioned this in passing before. Um, really, the, the ultimate answer is that God has good reasons for all the evil that he allows. That's, I mean, that's the baseline. That's, that's how we deal with the, with the problem of evil. Uh, we have to understand that we, as limited creatures who don't know everything, who don't see everything, uh, we um, we just we don't necessarily have an explanation. We could look at something that happens in the world and say, how could how could that ever be good? How could there ever be a, an ultimate good behind that that makes that justifiable? Uh, but we don't we don't see everything. We don't we don't have all of that information. Yes, the question that I've heard before just kind of asked back towards somebody who's questioning Christianity on this is just just because we can't see a good reason, does that mean that there isn't one? Right. You know? And, right. Um, but also admitting that that's kind of a cold comfort, too. <laughs> you know, right. Some, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, in a sense, it doesn't answer the question, but I mean... In a sense, it does. I mean, the the classic example of this is Job. What what happened with Job? Lost his family. Job is a kind of, I want to say, test case, but Job didn't commit any particular sin, yet God allowed Satan to afflict him for Mm -hmm. a time and take his health and his family and his property. Friends essentially come along and after they listen to him for a bit and say, well, almost all of his friends say, basically, you, you've done something, surely. Mm-hmm. There's some sin in your life. This is why this has happened. Right. They're going on the model for the kind of one for one correlation in terms of what happens, mm-hmm. you know, good or bad, for your standing with God or how, how, you know, how righteous you are. But, mm-hmm. but Job was. He was tested, but he was, there wasn't 
particular thing he did. Right. Um, and how did Job react? We know how his friends reacted. You know, they said, oh, well, clearly you've, you know, you've sinned and brought this on yourself. That's, that must be the explanation. Just repent and, you know, things will be better. What, how did Job react? He, trusted God. he, did, he was trusting God. I mean, mm-hmm. not perfectly. He did right? kind of lose it there. But in the beginning, his, his wife kind of gives him some poor advice and just said, all right, you know, curse God and die. Right. Like, you just get mad at God and mm-hmm. maybe he'll kill you or something like that. Right. You know? Job's like, no, I'm going to trust God. Right, yeah. And, and uh, it gets worse, and it's, you know, it kind of wa- he wavers near the end there. Right. So where, where, did he, where did he fall short in his attitude? Because, I mean, obviously there was many things to commend in his attitude. Right. He, he remained faithful to God throughout. But what? He kind of questioned... Uh, as as to whether God's ultimate justice to a certain extent, mm-hmm. uh, whether the wicked are truly punished and the righteous are truly mm-hmm. um, rewarded. Yeah. I mean, didn't he look at his own situation and say, look, what, what have I done to deserve this? I, I want an answer from God. Why I'm going through all this suffering, because I don't see anything in my life that merits this, Right. I mean, isn't that, like, essentially the problem of evil, right? You know, it's like, we see this evil, but it's like, we don't see how this could be justified. Now, why why was Job put through everything that he was? Well, um, if I remember right, Satan had said, oh... You know, you think that Job's this really righteous guy, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's really just because things are going really well. Mm-hmm. Right. You start taking that stuff away, he's gonna mm-hmm. he's gonna fall apart and mm-hmm. curse you and turn his back. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, um, where Job could not see, there was a conversation between God and Satan about you know the character of Job, and this whole thing was allowed so that God could display his great power and mercy in Job and that Job would uh, remain faithful to him through the whole thing, right? Did Job know that? No. <laughs> no? I mean, somehow somebody found out because it wound up in, you know, in the book of Job. I, I don't know who wrote the book of Job, but somebody said, you know, God revealed to somebody what, you know, what was behind it all. But even when... God comes and speaks to Job directly at the end of the book. Does he tell Job what what was going on? No. Well, what does he do? He asks him if he made the world. Right? Did you create... Did you design this creature? Did you do that? Where were you when I was essentially making everything? Mm-hmm. Basically... Showing do you have wisdom. The, yeah, do you have the wisdom, the knowledge, or the power? I know what I'm doing. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we can draw a, a parallel here. That, like, when we see evil in the world, you know, we, we don't necessarily know why this is happening, why God has allowed this, why he didn't step in with his sovereign, omnipotent power and say, I will prevent this from happening. Uh, we, don't, we don't know the answer to those questions. But we shouldn't presume that 
we just would know the answer. And since we can't come up with a reason, then God must not have a reason. Because uh, in essence, that's what Job was doing. He was like, I don't see a reason. I, this just doesn't seem just to me. God, come and tell me what's going on here. Um, and I mean, I think that we need to learn from that and say, when we see evil, even if we can't see the purpose behind it, we can trust that God has a good purpose for everything that he does. That'll make sense. I think one of the reasons why we can trust that is that um, he uh, sent his son Mm -hmm. to uh, suffer Mm -hmm. evil. Right. (laughs) At the hands, uh, really, at the hands of the people who are supposed to be the most uh, righteous uh, people, right? And um, <coughs> so it's not just a God that says, "Oh, well, I know what's best, and mm-hmm. you you can handle it." Mm-hmm. He he endured it himself, right, for yeah. us in our on our behalf. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's a really important thing to just point out that mm-hmm. when people say, "Why is there suffering? Why is there evil in the world?" Sometimes we can just say, I, I don't know, but I do know that we had a God who was willing to endure that mm-hmm. um, in a human form. Right. You know, that he was willing to take on that suffering. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is definitely a very good point. God is not untouched by the suffering. He's just somebody who's up there just, you know, yeah. orchestrating the world. And it's like, yeah, sorry. Uh, this, this was for ultimate good. You know, sorry. It's, you know, it's, he entered into that. That's a that's a very good point. I know something that we've touched on um, previously is when we were specifically talking about uh, the love of God is just how distorted the world's definition of love is. Just how it's it's just very much just like well, you know, if you love me, then you ought to let me do whatever I want without without any consequences. You ought to everything. Everything you do, you know, in relation to me should be pleasing to me. You should never do anything unpleasant to me. That's what love is. But that's not the case. I mean, think about when you raise children, right? You don't, you don't always do what's pleasant for your children. But is it because you're being mean to your children? Or is it because you love your children? Right? You have to do things because you love your children that they don't understand why it's good for them. And they don't like it, but ultimately, you having a, a more wise position know that it is for their good. Um, and so, it is you know when we when we look at God and say I, I don't understand how this could possibly be good for us that this is happening, we are kind of in the same position as the as the toddler who just doesn't understand why a spanking is good for him. Does that all make sense? Any other uh, questions or other thoughts or comments with respect to defending the Christian position? I think it's important to realize that the original way the world was made was not with mm-hmm. evil. Right. So if the creation was good in the end, and it was good, and it was good, and it was very good at the end of Genesis 1. So, everything was in order in the beginning, and that's not where we are now, but I think if you look at other systems, you're going to find, well, atheism, it's just death and Darwinism from the beginning. 
and I think you have to sort of sort out, okay, this is the way it always was. I mean, it, there was a, it would be a real problem, I think it would be an insurmountable problem if it was God made, it was evil and God made it, directly made it evil. Right. Then we'd have a serious probably like, wow, okay, yeah, it was, there was sin, God made it, and there was sin in it right there. But it's, humanity is the one, you know, that messed the thing up. And they had a good creation. They themselves were upright. They could obey. They could not obey. They were better off than we are today, yet they disobeyed. Now, that may not satisfy everyone. Probably not. But at least you have the groundwork of something, a good God creating a good creation, not a good God creating an evil creation, and then something goes wrong and sets you know, what we have today in motion. Mm-hmm. Right. And that we hope that it will be restored and made good right. again. Yeah, it goes, yeah, it's going to be back actually mm-hmm. better than it was in, in the garden. Because right. it'll never be sin again. Yeah, it goes, it's kind of comes, yeah. it comes full circle. Yeah. And we set up some of our own situations. For instance, the Lord used Joseph to protect Israel in time of famine. But Israel was not to stay in Egypt. And yet they stayed in Egypt because they had everything. They had the green grass. They had everything that was going good. They stayed in Egypt. But that was not the intent. Their intent was to go back and, and take the land that God gave them. So they pay the consequence, and, and they're blaming God in some ways for the condition that they are in slavery. But it was all by their own fault because that was not God's intention that they were going to stay there. So that, that's a product of their own doing. And that's so sometimes we, God does intend things to help us out, and then we'll just, you know, prefer the greener grasses and say, oh, I'm comfortable with where I'm at, or what I'm doing, mm-hmm. and then sometimes that leads us to disobedience, and then mm-hmm. uh, obviously then leads to judgment sometimes, mm-hmm. or trials mm-hmm. to see how faithful we are. Same thing with table talks talking about Ruth, you know, and uh, you know Naomi's husband, and like boy, they go, they leave, and they with the Midianites, and. They're over there. Well, that was not God's intention that they leave, you know. And we see Boaz, uh, he's an upright man. Mm-hmm. He stayed in the land, and then they come back. But see, they pay the consequences with their own decisions. Mm-hmm. But yeah. even within, God uses Ruth and many and I as right. Yeah, it, certainly the, the principle is true that, that God punishes evil. Uh, God punishes sin and rebellion. Um, and you know, and I, I think, like most people, can understand that concept. And really, where it gets sticky is when it's like, well, what you know, what did this person do to deserve this evil that fell on them? If we look at somebody and it's like, oh well, they disobeyed, and they're just reaping the consequences. That's that's a little easier for us to grasp. But where it gets a lot more difficult is in the situations where when we look at Job again. It's like, well, what did he do to deserve this? Well, nothing. That was something that was that was going on just completely outside of his own life and experience, but yet he went through all this suffering. And that's when it gets really hard for us to see, you know, 
well, how could this be just? How could God be good and all-powerful and allow this to happen? But yeah, but that is a good point, though. So, let's talk about the problem maybe for other people. Because, I mean, I think the Christian answer, while it may not satisfy everybody, I think it's a, it's a very reasonable uh, explanation of what's going on. Um, but the primary, um, I guess, boogeyman, you know, that's attacking Christianity in this particular area is the atheist, right? I mean, that's, that's you will often see this, you know, intellectual atheist and saying, oh, well, it's just silly to believe in the existence of God because at least a God who is all-powerful and all-loving because he would prevent this evil that we see, and we see this evil, therefore such a God can't exist, right? That's, I mean, just in essence, that's the way it's presented. Um, now, I can just give my answer for this, but I'd rather just throw it out there and see. How would you guys respond to that? I mean, just because there isn't a God doesn't mean that the, the question of evil just goes away, first of all. Right. And, that, you know, and you already alluded to that, that it's mm-hmm. still, okay, so there isn't a God. Right. So we're, we're the ones determining what's right and wrong, mm-hmm. and we've seen how poorly that can go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the easy one to always go towards is like uh, Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's a nation of people that decided that the best thing was um, to begin committing genocide against uh, several different kinds of people, mm-hmm. and um, and what I you know I always try to come back and go so you know uh, it seems like an evil question, but who's to say that what they were doing was the wrong the wrong thing? Mm-hmm. You know what what if Germany could have won the war, you know, and um, gotten what they wanted, mm-hmm. and like started to try to set up like a superior race. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that just the strong eating the weak? And mm-hmm. who's to say that that's why is that bad? You mm-hmm. know, why do we care? Uh, you know, my biggest question is who's to say that we should care for everybody globally mm-hmm. and not, uh, you know, at the very least, only care for ourselves. Maybe our family, maybe our tribe, mm-hmm. maybe even our country. Right. But why go beyond that? Why should we care at all about everybody? Because right. that's the. It seems like at least in American culture that that at least a lot of atheists have this mm-hmm. that uh, uh, paired with their um, skeptic views uh-huh. is that we should have we should love and care and have compassion for everybody, mm-hmm. and we should take care of the whole human race. Right. What's the, what's your basis for that? Um, exactly. For that, exactly. Why, why should we care? Because most people, I would argue, and they would argue against me, but I would say that most people don't uh-huh. actually care right. globally. Right. Um, even even if they claim that they do, right. they don't. Right. Um, yeah. No, you're 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 attacking it exactly the right way. And just so, just try to dissect a little bit of what you're talking about. Basically, what Casey is doing is he's saying, okay. Let's assume the atheist position is true, and then let's ask the question, what would be the result? And the result is going to wind up with absurdity. Um, And basically you're saying, what's the basis for saying that anything is good or evil? 
because what it comes down to is from the atheist perspective, there is no basis for saying that anything is good or evil. Morality has no basis. Um, and you're certainly touching on that. Anybody have any... Well, and, and that's why, I mean, it's kind of easy to pick on, but I, I don't really understand the Richard Dawkins type uh-huh. of atheist, where right. he just assumes the intellectual atheist is morally superior in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. But I do, I still think it's, it's illogical, but I do understand the nihilistic atheist better. And that's mm-hmm. sometimes where they go right. from yeah, there, where they yeah, say... it's more it's, consistent. Yes. It's... it's there is no good or evil. Things just happen. Mm-hmm. It's randomness, you know. Life happens. Right. It's it's just bad. Right. Um, they don't live that way. Right. They live with some. Con- they live still with some understanding of consistency in life. It's some sort of this, I want this because it's better. Mm-hmm. I don't want that because it's worse type of thing. Um, but that that that's still a little, a little more consistent than kind of mm-hmm. Richard Dawkins type of atheist. I would just say though that I know I personally know a, a, an atheist who's more along those lines. Yeah. And I'd argue that I mean I I love the guy. He's a nice guy, but I mean in in some sense he's living like an animal. I mean he's just he's seeking pleasure. Um, and you know, you say that they live in some sort of structure. Well, it's normally just trying to live within like societal bounds of like what's generally acceptable, you know, uh, just for their own good. Because yeah. if you just go and just do whatever you want, you're going to wind up in jail pretty quick. Because <laughs> we have, because you know, we have a society that does care about law and order and everything. But you know, he still does a lot of very illegal things that he just he's found that. Nobody's really caring. Nobody's watching out for it. If somebody gets in trouble, it's going to be the people who are giving this service, and you know, he's not really in much danger. Anyways, just um, yeah. But like you said, that is the more con- logically consistent way of living yeah. out that that uh, worldview. But then I look at it and I go, "This is sad. Um, it's just sad." And I don't, I don't know how you reach. It's going to take the Holy Spirit to reach somebody like that. I mean, it's just, I don't It's it convenient. So you talk about this individual and whoever it is, and they'll let certain things slide and say, oh, that person's. I, I guarantee that if someone just walked up them and beat them and left them in the street, they would not be like, well, that's just the way of the universe. <laughs> that's just survival, and that's just what is. Yeah. They would say, that's wrong. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now there are certain things they may, oh, I want to go smoke this or drink that or whatever they want to do. Sure. But someone walks up to them and punches them in the face, no, that's wrong. Yeah. Not, that's just what is. Yeah. Or I don't like that. That was an unpleasant experience. They're going to say that's wrong. Yeah. So it's like they want freedom, but they really don't want all the freedom because it would really be kill or be killed. Die or live, it really doesn't matter. Why do I live? Why die? I mean, what's the, what's the difference? It's no real. Someone wants to commit suicide? Why? And that system, what does it matter? You know, life, death, if your pleasure is done, you die. I don't think they really think about that because we still kind of live in semi ordered society with boundaries. They're living with the benefit oh, yeah. of rules. In the law. You know, they're playing within a certain field, but 
they don't realize that the, the true field is this big. They're, they're here going, oh, I'm going to smoke this. And that's not big. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, and really, from the Christian perspective, kind of going back to that, we would look at that and say the common grace of God restrains you from being as bad as you really could be. Um, yeah, I guess, um, you know, you, you have kind of a spectrum of the atheists, you know. And the more they go towards the perspective where they're consistent, the less they're even going to raise this objection. Because if they really think, you know, there's no, there's no good or evil, they could never really raise the objection that God is evil. Um, it's only when they try to have some basis of, for morality that they can say, well, God is evil. He's, he's violating some standard. Um, but of course, they have no basis for it. If you have no moral lawgiver, no one who will hold men accountable for what they've done, then why not just do whatever you want, right? So they have no basis for their uh, any objection that they raise against against God for being not as moral as they think he should be. But of course, you know, all atheists wind up, you know, having a moral standard. They do. Why is that? Why does? Why can they not escape something that's so foreign to their worldview? They're made in the image of God. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Because they're made in the image of God. They just can't escape it. They just can't escape it. I mean, you could point that out in a lot of other areas too. I mean, in a sense, you know that they have no basis for the laws of logic either. But they they think they're very rational and want to use the laws of logic to argue with you. But it's like from their perspective, everything's material. You don't you don't have any universal laws that govern thought in the atheistic universe. Um, I mean, that's kind of a whole different topic, but it's like they just don't have a basis for that. Um, but they function that way because they're made in the image of God, and that's the way reality is, and they just can't escape it. You know, Chris Francis Schaeffer talked about you know, when talking with someone, you should take the roof off their house, mm -hmm. let them feel the, mm -hmm. the full heat of the consequences of their mm -hmm. worldview. Yep. But he, he didn't stop there. He says, but, he said, you must immediately share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them because mm -hmm. if you leave them there, you'll leave them there with such despondency mm -hmm. that they will commit suicide. Right. And he said, so you don't want to leave them hopeless at right. the same time. So right. I thought, you know, that's, that's a good warning for mm -hmm. Christians. We're not just there to destroy their argument. Right. We want right. to share the hope of Christ. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is, is almost turning into an apologetics class, but... Um, that's not really the intention, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, but yeah. I mean, I think that like when it comes to apologetics, when it comes to dealing with objections, one of the things that I think is really important is that you understand that your job is to proclaim the gospel to people, and apologetics is there for when they object. If they don't object, you just tell them the gospel. Um, and I mean, your job isn't just to go find somebody who intellectually disagrees with Christianity and just present arguments to show them that Christianity is true. Your your job is to proclaim the gospel to them. And then when they have intellectual objections, um, show them that they don't really have any basis for having intellectual objections against Christianity. And so you use those arguments that way. But you always want to bring it back to the gospel. Because um, it is, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So that's, that's a very good point. So moving away from the atheist then, unless somebody else has a 
another comment on that. I will say there is another thought. I've, I've only heard it once, and that's a professor I had from at Calvary Bible College. And he was witnessing to a girl, I think it was dating her in high school. And her objection, she was atheist. Her objection was that God, why would God give love and grace to anybody that defied his law if there is a real God? And how could he put punishment on a son who did nothing? So her objection was actually almost flip of what, what you usually hear of atheists is that she can't believe in a God that could actually be just and do those things and allow people just to, you know, if he's so perfect and so righteous without sin, then there cannot be a God like that that would just allow sin to happen anyway. It's a flip, but he was like, you know, because now sharing the gospel with someone like that, it's like she just can't fathom the idea. She goes, I don't think that's right. Right. How can there be someone like that? Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, there's there's a there's a grain of truth in her objection, yeah. you know, and it's that's the reason the cross was necessary. Now, if you say that God can't justly uh, punish a substitute in our place, I think I think there you're oh, yeah. you're mistaken. Um, I, I mean, God makes very clear that he can justly do that. Um, and and it wasn't just a substitute who he just, you know, picked unwillingly. But it's God himself in the flesh who came and was a substitute for us. Um, and so it's perfectly just that he does that. But the notion that God can't simply just overlook sin, I mean, that's a, that's a very biblical concept. So, But it's the reason you need the cross. Yeah. I wonder if that person, though, I'm sure someone has been gracious to them in their life and not given them the exact justice their actions have merited. And they go, uh, I, I doubt they objected and went, no, 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 I want justice for myself. It's, I think it's like, they're like, no, I, we're not going to punish you, you know, you were speeding. No, I, I want the ticket, I was speeding. It's like, no, yeah, I'll, t- I'll get off. Yeah, thank you, officer, for your discretion. So I, I think that's intellectual, and I think it's, it's a, like Chris said, there's a grain of truth to it, but in reality, we want justice for our enemies and mercy for ourselves. And if you're honest, we don't really want, truly want to punish even by civil society by, for what we do. Okay, so moving on to the the non-atheist. How do people of some religious perspective, some theistic perspective, how, how, what are the other ways that people try to deal with the problem of evil? Some traditions that say that evil is an illusion. Okay. Kind of like more like Buddhism or something like that. Right. Pantheistic systems, and, you know, not, maybe not all to a man, but it's an illusion, and we right. have to escape that illusion. Right. It's an illusion that feels, I think even they'd have to admit it feels incredibly real. Right. Uh, really real. But um, they have to escape that illusion somehow through, I'm sure they have ways of, you know, doing things to withdraw or something or become one with something else. To, so, but essentially, suffering pain is illusion. Mm-hmm. Kind of punk. 
to me it seems like really solving the problem. Right. It's not here. It's not real. Right. Your wife just died your incredible pain. That's not real. Okay. Uh, seems a little callous to me. But I don't know if they'd say that, you know, but if that's the system. Yeah. That's a. That's one that's, that's definitely like hard to get your mind around that you can ever like really look at the evil around you and the suffering you're going through and just say, ah, oh, it's just an illusion. Um, I think the, the fact that we are made in the image of God makes that one just really hard to swallow. Uh, go ahead. Uh, going back to like uh, ancient Greek and Roman societies, good and evil or something really that's our standards and concepts that are beyond even the gods. And they themselves have matures of good and evil in them at times. Sorry. Say that. The, the gods themselves are not completely wise. They're not completely good. Mm-hmm. They're not completely right. powerful. Either. Right. So uh, they're affected by good and evil. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's something beyond them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That is a way that I don't know that there's many people that fall in that category today. But yeah, that's certainly they they just. In a sense, though, that they're basically just saying, you know, God isn't all-powerful or all-loving. They just just pitch both of the of the premises of the argument. Say, yeah, we've got we've got gods that have limited power, and really, you know, like maybe they could be loving at times, but they could also be, you know, really mean. So I think that suffers the same problem as the atheist. Okay. In that, okay, the atheist denies the supernatural realm. Right? Mm-hmm. This is all there is, matter. They have a supernatural realm, mm-hmm. but it's made of finite gods, flawed, right? Finite and flawed, and they're fickle. And yet, there's no <coughs> one fixed standard mm-hmm. by which to say it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. So you're sort of just, you're back to sort of just what is but it's being orchestrated by this fickle bunch of spiritual beings. <laughs> so you're sort of back to atheism, but you've got sure. the spiritual yeah. realm yeah. to play around with. Right. But there's yeah. still no... Yeah. Okay, is there one God there that doesn't change that says, okay, no, this is really bad. Mm-hmm. You guys, are right. you, this group's misbehaving, now this group is behaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They don't... It doesn't really solve the problem. Right. It just kind of pushes right. it back. And it and it still has the the same thing that you see often with atheists is like there is an assumed good and evil in that perspective, right. and you know you you read about these you know Greek gods and it's like their actions will be called you know either good or evil and so they still have this notion of that there's this somebody's judging objective <laughs> good and evil you know that that applies but yet the highest beings in existence don't follow the rules so. It is interesting. What about uh, more modern perspectives? Well, I was going to say, whenever I have these conversations, I actually try to bring whoever I'm talking to to like basically the same place that I think everybody follows under this umbrella. And that, first of all, I think most people don't really even have a system. They might think they do, or they, you know, they might be able to kind of talk about one, but it's really easy to point out when. It's inconsistent, and Christians are the same way. Sure. I mean, we don't live, we don't live the reality that we're um, saved uh, mm-hmm. oftentimes. That's and true. so, um, anyways, I try to bring everybody back to that place of like we're all like, even 
even you don't believe what you're saying, you know, and and I don't always believe what I'm saying. And so, what do we need? We need a savior. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of how you. I think you can bring it back to the gospel. Mm -hmm. We need somebody who's can rescue us from this human condition of, because you know, the the problem that I have with arguing these things kind of on the intellectual plane is that first of all it does kind of ignore the humanity of like the actual suffering we kind of turn it into this like thing to be like this battleground to be won mm-hmm. and um, you know, so we lose the humanity of it and then we also like to pretend that once we've solved the si- you know once we've got the correct system or at least the the best one mm-hmm. that you know we're going to keep getting better, and I, I just don't think that that's true. That people don't even live out their own standards of right. of things. Um, I think that's something else that Francis Schaeffer has said. I think that's why you have to look at the system and not the person. Because no person lives a Christian worldview perfectly, and Buddhists aren't consistent Buddhists, and atheists aren't consistent atheists. So you're not. Ar- I'm not arguing the person. I'm arguing with the system. And you're sort of asking the person, how are how can you, are you truly consistent with this? Can you really be consistent with this system? Yeah, I understand there's a point where there's a real suffering, but it, it's basically going okay. Look at this. Is this even a livable system, or do you want to live in a imagine a society where this is truly the system, the law of the jungle? Is that really where? I mean, it's not. Yeah, everyone Christians don't. Fully live the Christian ethic, given right, but the system itself at least doesn't fall apart. Sure, and that's what you want to get the people to reflect upon, because we're all going to be inconsistent about things. Yeah, and that's sort of that. I think there's still a necessity to getting to the thought behind why we do things. Yes, most people are non-reflective. Don't think about why they think what they think. Don't know where that idea came from. They just believe it. That's yeah, and that's the value. That's common in Western culture. But to reflect on why do I think that? Why do I do that? Why do I believe that? For anyone, Christian or non-Christian, I think it's a it's you know why am I doing what I'm doing? Otherwise, we're just kind of bouncing around. So yeah, there's a point at which there's a timing aspect to this. Someone who just lost a loved one, you don't kind of give a high. Well, if you're an atheist, you can't account for the sadness you have. That's not the time for that. But there is a place for, I think, getting into. Do you mean like falling yeah. through to, a, to its logical? Yeah, and absolutely. That's why I said, yeah. yeah. Can you live? Is this even a possible scenario to live out based on you know? Because they're going to show inconsistency. But then I think the goal is that you go there only to come back to oh, yeah. the personal again and say. You know, you're left. What are you left with? And even it's like even if we could say, okay, there's like some good parts to what you're trying to do, but like it's impo- You know, it's impossible. It's going to fall apart if it goes this direction or that. And then and then you have to show them that first of all that we can't even that we're, we're not even capable of following our own flawed systems, and we can't followed the perfect system of Christianity and so we need a savior. Well that yeah, absolutely that's, well, yeah, they, yeah they, that's where we be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Mm-hmm. Fallen humans don't live that. No. Given. Start you know that's like we don't do that. Yeah. 
The trial of the probation was in the garden. They failed. Now we're born dead in sin. We're, we're losing from the get-go. That's just, yes. So no, I'm not saying we can somehow live perfectly yeah. and adopt a Christian system and live a perfect ethical life. Gosh, no. Really. That wouldn't be Christianity. That would be some form of, you know, not, I don't know what it is, Protestant liberalism or something like that. You know? But you do see the power of God in the lives of his people. And you do see people doing things that if left to themselves, they would never do because of the Holy Spirit. You know, so there is a sense of sanctification and growth. And while there's not perfection, and it is the Holy Spirit in us, so it's not us, I think we still have to acknowledge that God still is uh, is, is at work. And so there's something very real. Christianity is not just like another ideology or another system. Right. You know, it is the power of God at work amongst His people. And uh, so, yeah, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. I'm trying to just add to, 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 to what you're saying, you know, so as, as we look at these things. But I think that's where, you know, as we trust in the Lord and we grow in, I mean, I think about evangelism, I think about apologetics, and I think, you know, something that we oftentimes don't talk about in relation to those things is holiness of life. As we give ourselves, uh, you know, submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives. And as He does work, you know, that is an important part of evangelism, an important part of apologetics. That people see that holiness, not perfection, you know, but definitely, truly the work of God. And, and a humility, and that's part of that work, just a humility to say, that's not me, that's God. You know, it's just neat to see how that comes to work, but anyway. Um, yeah, those are, those are good points. Um, and uh, to, to somewhat answer what, what you were saying is like, I mean, I'm hoping this doesn't sound like it's like, oh, we just deal with this up here at the intellectual level, yeah. and then it's like, okay, we're done. You know, but from a, from a teaching perspective, it's like we need to handle the things at the upper level. And you know, and that's that's basically what we're talking about here. But I don't, I certainly don't want to, like, have it be anything where it's depersonalized, yeah. or where it's like we think we actually live perfectly according to, you know, what we understand to be true. So, but, but, but I, I do think that we we don't want to be so focused on that that we forget to look at the the philosophical underpinnings, I guess, mm-hmm. of what we're talking about. And, and it seems like today in our culture people themselves, individuals themselves, are sort of uh, um, the standard by which they live. So even if they believe in an ideology, they like stand separate and apart from that to determine what I want to buy into and what I don't. So which is a shift from, you know, years past and, and things like that. So, so I think that's what makes it really sort of tricky and difficult. You know, because it's really what I believe and what I think is... So you do have people sort of moving in and out of what's good and what's evil. Mm -hmm. And when you try to nail them down, they really don't have an answer. Because I think what you were saying earlier about people not thinking, Mm -hmm. Satan doesn't want us to think. Because if we thought, then, uh, you know, even as pagans, because we're made in the image of God, it would lead us back to God. You know, we would have to be confronted with that. So I think that's one of the tools that Satan uses, and why distraction our distraction is useful. Yes, distraction and entertainment 
Pleasure. Yes. Entertainment is an end in and of itself, a form of pleasure in and of itself. It's quite easy. Because yeah. then we don't have to reflect upon anything. Yeah. But you're talking about postmodernism, and you're sort of asking a modern system. I think that's where we are today. I'm sorry, sir. You were asking about other systems uh -huh. in the ways around. I think that's postmodernism is where we are today. Yeah. My truth is my truth, your mm -hmm. truth is your truth. Right. Which is, in reality, it's functionally sort of the atheistic system. Sure. Yeah. There, there's some morality somewhere, but it's not fixed. Mm -hmm. And there's really no fixed basis for right. it. It's just what I think right. is right and wrong. Right. And it sort of suffers the same flaws as the atheist system mm -hmm. in that that person, they watched somebody get murdered in front of them and probably go, that was wrong. Mm -hmm. Not that was an incredibly unpleasant experience. And in my personal subjective morality, I think that was wrong. But for the person who murdered that person, it was fine. Mm -hmm. So there, at some point, again, this works in polite society. <laughs> yeah. But you go to somewhere where you watch genocide, Rwanda in the 90s or the 2000s or whatever, you're not going, oh, yeah, that's just, they're just doing what they think is right. And no, it, it works in the West when you don't watch people getting slaughtered every day. But it, it doesn't work in a death camps and things like that. It's, it's very insulated. It's almost like ivory tower academia. Yeah, it's we're, Western culture. We're enjoying, you know, a measure of wealth unheard of, you know, for so many people. I mean, we, most most of us here in America live like kings. Um, you know, I, I I wish I could remember what the number was, but it was like, if you were at the poverty level in America, you were wealthier than than like eighty percent of the world. Ninety nine or ninety eight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's just incredible. So even the people that we call impoverished here are um, are in the top ten, twenty percent of the world. And like you said, it's easy. It's easy, I think, to try to have these postmodern things. When, like you right. said, polite society. I said, but what happens when when resources are scarce and it turns starts turning into more of a you know you have to fight to survive. Then, then what happens to your system? Kind of like when Katrina hit New Orleans. You see everything fall apart. Yeah. yeah. We like to pretend like we're these great um, moral beings, but I, I argue that you you strip away comfort like Job. Mm -hmm. You know I I find the the story of Job very unsettling. Because I, I ask the question for myself, I'm like, what if that happened to me? I don't know if I would stand the way that Job did. <laughs> you know, I have no idea. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if that happened to our society, mm -hmm. it, yeah, we we wouldn't be. That's when you start seeing people for what they really are, mm -hmm. regardless of what they said their system was. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. That is very true. Can I throw a question out? Just switching subjects somewhat. Um, Islam, how would they define the problem of good and evil? I am not an expert on that. I mean, I think they would probably have something pretty similar to the Christian perspective, and that they would say that you know Allah is is justified in whatever He allows, because they they would they would well, maybe somebody here knows more about Islam than I do, but I, they would certainly have the idea that He's all powerful, yeah. um, and I think they would have the idea that He is you know he's that He's holy, good, you know. yeah. And that he's not going to do anything evil. So I think they would probably approach it basically the same way that 
that a Christian would, and saying that that even if we can't see it, God is justified in Just without the grace and mercy. Yes, yes. There's there's definitely other problems with Islam in there, but I think the big thing with Islam that they would say is the that their definition of good and evil would be the, the big difference for us because like they wouldn't say that Adam and Eve sinned in the beginning. They didn't commit an evil. They made a mistake. And that they were rectified for that mistake and stuff like that. So there's a big difference in how that kind of plays out and their their views. Yeah, how, yeah. What what you view as good and evil is certainly going to have a, an impact on that. But yeah, you probably know more about that than I do on on Islam. So they at least have a source of good and evil. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't have the problem of the sexual right. versus the atheist right. or the pantheist. Or the and I mean, it is still an issue they have to deal with because it's like they see evil in the world and believe that Allah is in control of all things. So. Um, you know, they, they have to answer it as well. But I think their answer would probably, not, not knowing specifically, I think their answer would probably be fairly similar to the Christian answer. Um, one thing I was trying to get at is that you have some people um, that basically try to, probably the more common one is to remove God's omnipotence and say, yes, God is all good. Um, and he really wishes that you didn't suffer all the things you suffer. But he's limited. He can only do so much. So he's trying. He really cares for you. He loves you. He's, he's doing the best he can. Right? Um, you could also have perspective. I don't know that anybody actually takes this, but you could go the other way and say, well, God's just not good. He's all-powerful, but he's, he's just a monster. Right? I've even brought that up with atheist friends. I'm like, I mean, just because you don't like uh-huh. it isn't an argument against its existence. Or, right. You know, that doesn't prove right. anything. Right. <laughs> I right. said, so maybe maybe God is a monster. So right. we're, we're all in trouble then. Right. You know? like, right. It doesn't matter what you believe. Right. It, I mean, <laughs> taking that route certainly does still cause some problems with it. Like, well, wh- you know, where does the moral standard come from if... If the you know if the supreme god of the universe doesn't even follow his own standard, um, but it, it 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 would still be an objection though against Christianity because we say that God is not a monster you know that he is uh, truly good and truly holy. But if you if you rob God of his goodness, you make him a monster. If you rob him of his omnipotence, you make him subject to his own creation. And both of these positions both of these positions contradict Scripture rob God of his glory and make him unworthy of worship. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that's kind of like if you're if you're a theist of some kind and you try to answer this problem of evil in some way other than the way that Christians do, at least some variation on the way Christians do, that's kind of what you're left with. And those just don't work. Um, and I had not intended the whole class today <laughs> to be a discussion on the problem of evil, but it was a good discussion. So, um, in, so that, in that case, the same robbing God of omnipotence. Since he's not God anymore, right? It, uh, then we're sort of back to the problem: is there, is there the true God behind this right. very wise God, but not all powerful, and right. kind of kicking the king down the road? Of, well, okay, now we have to find out what that God thinks, because that's what matters now. It's, right. It's not, that's not God. It, it's sort of the pantheist problem. You've got a finite, but very big and powerful being, but 
not all powerful. And yeah. then, so if you take away any of God's all powerful, all knowing aspects, he's not God anymore. Right. And then he's not the standard anymore. So then there's yeah. always something beyond it. And, it. and it's basically the same thing if you take away his, his, his love and his goodness. Right. You know, it's like, how could he be the moral lawgiver then? You know, it's just like, you, you start you start trying to take away God's attributes, and it's just he's just not God anymore. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's the way it works. But um, but yes. So I apologize because uh, we only have what three weeks left. That, I think that's right. So we, we we may we may get shortchanged on some of the attributes of God. But this was a good discussion. So it was it was probably good that we that we paused to have this have this discussion. So anyway. Um, so let's uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, Lord, we thank you that you are good, that you all are all powerful, and Lord, we can trust you. We know that uh, you have um, your own glory in mind. You have the good of your people in mind, and uh, Lord, you have entered into the suffering of this world. Lord, that you, in the person of your Son, came in the flesh and bore the wrath that is due to us. And Lord, we just, we're just so amazed at, at who you are, at your great perfections, and how they are displayed to us. And Lord, that, that your mercy uh, comes to us wicked sinners who are uh, just so rebellious against you, so inconsistent with our own... Uh, even thoughts of who you are, uh, Lord, that we just, we don't live up to what you call us to. Uh, but Lord, you, you are merciful and gracious to us. And Lord, we just thank you and praise you. And God, may we continue to, to know you better and worship you as you are. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.